Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If you die today as a believer, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If the rapture happened today, the Bible said we'll be caught up and forever be with the Lord. I think the biggest deal about the next phase for all believers is that we're going to be with Him. Amen? We're going to be with the Lord, forever with the Lord. He's never going to break up from you. Once you get with the Lord, can you mess up and God say, you know what, I'm banishing you from here. No, you won't have the sin nature. So everybody that's down here sinning and doing stuff you know you're not supposed to be doing, and you're not going to have that no more. That's an incredible truth when you think about it. Once we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are with God and will be with Him forever throughout eternity. That's a long time to be with Him. In his message today, Pastor Bill will be sharing a glorious picture of heaven, an endless existence where you get to spend time with God. You get to stay always in His presence. How amazing! And nothing you can do can separate you from God. You won't even have the desire to sin anymore when you're in heaven. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. There's a peace that we have as believers knowing that I've never been good enough, so I can't mess this up. That's what grace does for me. Um, grace says if I'm, I'm saved by God's grace, it's unmerited favor, then I'm solid in that. Because if grace is why, then that doesn't change. If I mess up today... Um, it was always by grace. I didn't deserve it anyway, right? If I'm doing great in my walk with the Lord today, it's still by grace. I haven't, it's not like if I do better with God, I had a great week devotionally. I mean, I studied, I prayed, I witnessed every single day. I led someone to Christ and I gave hungry, you know, people on the street food. So I know this week, you know what I'm saying? This week it became, I know I'm going. Because then what happens next week? When you saw somebody hungry and you was in a rush and you just drove by and you had money, Somebody asked you for change, you had a bad attitude, you got up late and didn't do devotions, you watched stuff you shouldn't have watched. That week, what happens that week? If it's on you, your walk with the Lord is going to be like this. I feel confident. I feel unconfident. I think I'm saved. I don't think it's going to be like that. But if it's a matter of grace, um, I know that I'm saved by grace. So he says, grace to you and peace. The peace always follows the grace. It's as I understand the grace of God that I have peace with the Lord and the peace of God in my heart. Grace to you and peace. Now it says this, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And we'll see in verse four, each person of the Trinity. Um, this first one is speaking, of, I believe this is a reference to God the Father, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And, and this can't really be said about anybody except the Lord, right? Only God was and is and is to come. It's speaking of the fact that God is eternally existent. God doesn't have a start day. He doesn't have a beginning day. Uh, some of the cults will say, oh, well, you know, Jesus had a start day. He, Jesus was born. So on his birthday, December 25th, y'all know it's not even his birthday. That's not even accurate anyway. But we know that Jesus didn't begin to exist when he was born of a virgin. Y'all know that, right? We see, you know, Christophany. We see, you know, pre-Bethlehem Jesus in Genesis already. He's always existed. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were always there. That's why in the book of Genesis, when they say, let us make man, who's us? it's the Hebrew plural form for God. It's not El, it's Elohim. It's the plural form. It's let us. God is, they're talking among themselves. Let us 
make man in our image. And so um, that's not just one of them. That's all of them. They all had a, a hand in this thing. And so here it says of the father who he was, he is, and he is to come, eternally existing one. Um, grace to you and peace from him, the one that's always been. If the grace that's coming and the peace is coming, it's important to know the author of it. Amen. It's coming from the one that always was, that still is, and that is to come. That means nothing's going to change. If you're in on grace, it's not like we're going to get a new leader one day and everything changed. Anybody ever had a job and you had a boss that liked you and then a new boss came and you had to hope that the new boss, I hope the new boss is cool like the old boss or else I'm going to have trouble. You know, that's not going to happen in your walk with the Lord. The father is never going to be removed from his station. Uh, He was, he is, he is to come. And if he's ever had grace on you, he still has grace on you. Amen. So the one who was. Um, and who is and who is to come. And then it says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Again, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. But why does it say seven spirits? Um, there's only one Holy Spirit. What is that talking about? And if you're a note taker, I want you to write down Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two. And here it gives us seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And so this verse isn't saying that there's seven Holy Spirits. It rather is speaking of the full work of the Holy Spirit. Seven in Scripture is the number of what? Of completion. So um, I'm going to read Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord, one of the attributes of character, he's going to be the Lord. Um, There's mastery. He's going to be the Lord. Um, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And these are all things that he said, this is the full working of the Holy Spirit. So when he says here, look, this is coming, grace and peace are coming from him who was, from who is and who was and who is to come, the Father, the seven spirits, just the full working of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. And then in verse five, And from Jesus Christ, we have the Son. And from Jesus Christ, and these are the things it tells us about him. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. These three things about Jesus Christ. First, he's the faithful witness. Um, What does that mean? What do I take from that? Jesus was the faithful witness. Uh, Obviously, there are things that he shared, that he testified to, that he was witness of in his time on earth, and he was a faithful witness. He was actually faithful all the way to the point of death on the cross. Amen? He's the faithful witness. Uh, Then it says he's the firstborn from the dead. This is important. Um, The idea of Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, it means much more than that, than he was just the first one that was resurrected. It also means that there's preeminence among all those who are going to be resurrected. Jesus is the prototype, if you will. He is my proof that when I die, it's not over. So as Jesus died and resurrected, he's demonstrating to everybody else that believes this is what's going to happen to you guys. So when we look at Jesus in his resurrected body, we know that somehow we get a little glimpse of what our resurrected bodies are going to be able to do. Um, What was Jesus able to do in his resurrected body that was unique? He walked through walls, right? I want to walk through walls, you know, I'd walk through walls right now, but this is painful, you know, uh, you know, so walk through walls in his record. He just showed up places and it's a different body. Um, it's not like his normal body. It was different. We don't know all the details, but we know this, that if he rose, we'll rise. 
Um, his raising from the dead is my proof that I'm going to, death is not the end for me either. Jesus died and then he demonstrated that he had power over the grave and that he rose from the grave. And so everyone that believes in him, we know that death is not the end for us either. Amen. Death is how I cross over into the next realm. Death is how I begin the next phase. Death is how I enter into eternity. But death for the believer is not dying. It's transitioning into the next phase. For non-believers, the Bible calls it the second death. So for a non-Christian, death is death. But here's the crazy thing. Does anybody stop existing? No. Everybody is going to exist for eternity. Even non-believers are going to exist for eternity. It's what the Bible teaches about death. Death is dying in a place of separation from the Lord, where there's also torment that goes along with it. But that's the second death. Um, if you're alive today and you don't know Christ, the Bible says you're already spiritually dead. You're dead already. And then when you die while being spiritually dead, you get the second death. You get to remain separated from God now, though, in a place of torment that God created to punish Satan and all the demons that fell with him. However, for the believer to be absent from the body is to be what? Present. And don't miss that phrase with the Lord. I think that's the big deal. If you die today as a believer, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If the rapture happened today, the Bible says we'll be caught up and forever be with the Lord. I think the biggest deal about the next phase for all believers is that we're going to be with him. Amen. We're going to be with the Lord, forever with the Lord. He's never going to break up from you. Once you get with the Lord, can you mess up and God say, you know what? I'm banishing you from here. No, you won't have the sin nature. So everybody that's down here sinning and doing stuff, you know, you're not supposed to be doing and you're not going to have that no more. So some of y'all could praise God for that because you wouldn't make it otherwise. So you have a new nature. You know, you won't be up there sinning and messing up. You won't be smacking angels. Some of y'all that's not mourning people, you'd be better. You know, you'd be delivered finally. And so, you know, this is Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Then it says, and he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. This is important as well. Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. That means that those that appear to be in authority down here are not really in as much of authority as they seem to be. Uh, even in the unseen realm, there's demons and devils and all these sorts of things. They're not really in as much power as they appear. Who's got all the power ultimately? He does, right? He's the king. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. We call him the king of kings and the lord of lords. He has ultimate authority. Um, there's periods of time where God does allow, we saw that in the book of Job, God allows Satan to go so far, but he set boundaries and limits on what could be done. There are things that God allows down here. God allows men to do. Everybody in this room, God has allowed you to sin. Amen. And some of y'all have taken that way farther than other people, but God has allowed it to be. Um, that's God's given free will. But there's a point in time where God is going to bring an end to all of that. Everybody's going to be given an account. And so he has all authority over everything else. This should free us up in a few ways. One, if you're a Christian and we do fall under the authority of people in the earth, um, for the people that were living in this time, that might have been hard to hear. Jesus, you're the king of the rulers of the earth. How come the Roman government is so rough on us? How come they've been allowed to, they're killing us. They were living in a time where the Roman government was killing believers way worse than any kind of, you know, persecution, not even persecution, way worse than anything that we might have experienced in our day and age. They were experiencing then. And God was allowing it, you know, to a certain degree. He was allowing those things to take place. But here he says, look, I'm the ruler over the kings of the earth. This is the thing. Ultimately, they'll all give an account to him. 
Those that were persecuting the believers back then, they died and they had to meet who? Did they get away with it? No, nobody does. And there are things that are happening in our world today that are troubling. There may be things that you look at and you see on the news or you see happening like, how come they're being allowed to do that? Those, everybody's going to give an account one day. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Everybody's going to give an account to him. Everybody has a day where they're dealing with him. That should minister to us in two ways. If you're in here and you're in a place of authority over people, you want to be really careful how you manage your authority over other people. Parents, um, your authority over your... Be careful how you manage authority over other people. If you're blessing your job to have authority, be careful how you manage authority over other people. If you're ministering in the church, be careful how you manage your authority over other people. We're all going to give an account to the one that's the authority over all people. Amen? And if somebody's wronged you or done you wrong, God's like, it's coming. You know, this is another way I think it should free us. If he's the ruler over the kings of the earth, everybody else, then I'm not going to ever be hung up on rather somebody kept something from me. If I go to the interview and somebody, they look at me with the stank face, I'm not going to leave the interview and say, they didn't give me that job because that person didn't. Eh, no, no. I, I'm talking to the Lord, right? If God didn't let me get that job, so I'm going to keep it moving. I don't have to stumble over people at this level. Can somebody keep something from me that God has for me? Absolutely not. So if I go in and I don't get it, I'm like, Lord, that's not the one. You know, you open doors, no man shut. You shut doors, no man open. You're the king over the rulers of the earth. And you didn't. It says in Proverbs that the hearts of the kings are in his hands. And like the rivers of water, he moves them wherever he wishes. I mean, God can do whatever he wants. And so if I don't get favor, I'm not worried about you who didn't give me favor or why you didn't receive me. I'm looking to the Lord like, God, you didn't have that for me because you could have moved and I would have had it. So uh, that'll save me from getting mad at people, uh, from stumbling at the earth level when I realize I'm functioning under a much higher king. Amen. Um, and he's the ruler over everything. It will free me up from worrying about trying to be a people pleaser, worrying about trying to get people to do. I'm just trying to I'm asking God what his will is and that trusting that he'll open all the doors to his will for my life. And so let's move on down now. Look at right under that. So he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. It says to him. And these are all things that are references about Jesus Christ to him who loved us. Now, in different translations of the Bible, some translation says to him who loves L-O-V-E-S. The King James, the New King James says he who loved L-O-V-E-D. And they're both right. You know, I think one of them focuses backwards that God loved us. That points back to the cross, right? God demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we can look back and see that Christ loved us. Amen. But we also can look presently and say he loves us. He both loved us and he continues right now. He loves us. I know what he did for me on the cross. What's he doing for me today? The Bible says in Hebrews 7 that he lives to make intercession for us. Right now, for everybody in this room that did whatever you did this week, Whatever wrong you've done this week, if you're a child of God, Satan ran to the Lord and was and he's the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. And so he ran and said, look at look, at, he did that. I saw him. He did it. And you did do it. God knows you did it. But he's there as your intercessor. He's living to make intercession. And so while the accusation comes, it's it's been washed away. It's like it never happens. Washed away in the blood of Christ. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He didn't just get me into a right relationship. He's keeping me in a right relationship with the Lord. And eventually he's going to present me. Jude says, eventually he's going to present you and me faultless. Y'all think about that? 
Think about how many faults we have to him who's able to present you faultless before the Father one day. Faultless. Not because you're faultless, but because he's able to present you faultless because you've been washed in his blood. And so again, to him who loved us, and then next thing, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It was the ultimate demonstration of his love for us that our sins have been washed away in the blood of Christ. And I just want you to understand the difference between what Jesus did in the Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrifices would provide a covering for sin. The New Testament provides a cleansing from sin. So um, let's say that, you know, there's a, a room in your house and there's a bad odor coming from the room because something is soiled in, you know, the carpet in the room. So it stinks because there's some stuff in the carpet that stinks. Now, two ways to address this. I can walk in the room and spray some Lysol in the air to cover up the stink but it's still nasty on your floor. Amen? That's the Old Testament. We just covered it up. It's still there. It's going to be stinking again before you know it. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is this. I go get a you know, carpet cleaner from you know, Home Depot, and I put the stuff in the carpet and deep clean it and wet it and soak it and draw the nasty out and suck it all up and dry it. Now the smell is gone because the, the stuff is gone. It's been clean, right? That's what God does. He cleanses you washed you, washed away your sins in the blood of Christ. And so one day you and I are going to stand before a holy God and there won't be anything there. There won't be anything between us and the Lord because we've been washed. Our sins have been washed away in the blood of Christ. Then verse six says, and he has made us kings and priests uh, to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in addition to what he's done for us, he's you know, he's loved us, washed us from our sins by his own blood. He says, I've also given you something to do. He's made us kings and priests. And let me explain two things. One, in the Old Testament, you couldn't be a king and a priest. You could be a king or a priest. Whenever kings tried to do priest stuff, they got in trouble. Can anybody think of a king that tried to do priest stuff and died or got, was punished by God for it? Saul got punished for it. Who else? Uzziah, right? <laughs> Um, you could be one or the other. You couldn't be both. Jesus was the first one to be both king and priest, um, that he's king of kings, Lord of lords. He also stands in the gap for us. He says, look, I made you now kings and priests. Here's what's important about that. Kings in what way? You know, is we get a, are we royalty or whatever. You think about the royal family. You think about the era of the Old Testament where kings came into play. How did you become a king? You had to be in the family to be king. Amen. For me to be king, I couldn't just come from anywhere. My dad had to be a king. That had to be passed down through our lineage um, that I could be king. God said, look, I've made you kings because I brought you into the, to his royal family. He is the king of kings. He's adopted you into his family. So I've made you kings and priests. So first through relationship, as he's adopted us as his children, brought us into the family of God. God said, I've made you kings. But then second, he says, I've made you priests. What did the priests do in the Bible? The priests did two things. They, they went before God on behalf of the people, and they went to the people on behalf of the Lord. The priests were that in-between, that go-between person. He said, now I've made you guys priests to the Lord. We go to people on God's behalf. We go witnessing and sharing about who he is and what he's done for them. And we go to God on their behalf. We intercede. God says, look, I've enabled you to do both now. I brought you into my royal family, if you will, kings and priests. I've given you a place where you can speak 
on my behalf to others, and you can come to me on behalf of other people's. Understand this, that apart from the blood of Christ, I don't have access to God to pray for anybody. But it's through what he did that I now have access in. He's made us. I've made you kings and priests. If you're writing notes, you can write down 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'll read it to you. 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, again, just speaking of what Christ has done, what he has made us into. Um, now, moving on, it says, um, verse 6, so he made us kings and priests to his God and Father. It says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. And so to God is glory. Um, that's all the glory belongs to the Lord and there's dominion. Um, these things belong to God forever and ever. Amen. And again, I, I hate to breeze over these things. When it says glory forever and dominion forever, God is he's lacing this book up with the idea that it's never coming to an end. He's the forever king. He's going to have glory forever. He's going to have dominion forever. Jesus is never going to be dethroned or removed from his position so that those that are under him can relax. I can be at peace. My king is never going to be removed or dethroned from his place, his position. There's a confidence that we can have uh, as God's children. Now moving on to verse seven. Um, this is prophetic language. It says, behold, that word means to stop. Look, it'd be like whistling to somebody and say, hey, 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 look, look, you know, behold is to draw our attention to something. It says he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even they who pierced him. Um, God is saying, look, when he comes back, speaking of the Lord and when he returns, it's going to be coming with the clouds and every eye is going to see him. Now, we know that there was the first coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is going to be different than the first, different in how he comes, different in why he came. Uh, in his first coming, he came on a rescue mission. Jesus' first coming, he came to save. Uh, there was a humility about it. There was a gentleness about it. He was a meek mild lamb of God and people talk smack and he just endured it. People asked him silly questions and he took it. You know, as you look at Jesus through the gospels many times, I know for me, I look at Jesus through the God, I'm like, just smoke one of them. Just do, just a lightning bolt for somebody, man. Show somebody, you make him, make him respect you a little bit. You know, he didn't come for that. He came to die. When he was born, it says they wrapped him in swaddling cloths. It's the same cloths back in that day that they would wrap a dead body in. Um, and so some will look at that and say, man, he was born to die. He came with that as his mission. He understood it and he fulfilled it obediently. That was the first coming. The second coming is going to be different. The second coming, he's coming back to do what? To judge. Um, he's coming back to do business. Same person, same God, but his, the mission is different both times. Um, I would give this analogy. If I were a police officer... Uh, that means I got guns and weapons and all these things. But I was going home for lunch to just see my wife and kids real quick. I have all this authority and power, but I'm, the mission is I'm just going home to say hi to my wife and kiss the kids. So I go home and I'm all happy-go-lucky. You know, nobody's getting hurt. Nobody, you know, I'm just going home to, to say hi to the family. That was the mission. Now, if my wife were to call and say, hey, somebody's breaking in the back door. Come now. You know, I'm the same guy, but the mission is going to be different. Amen. I'm going, I'm going clack, clack, you know, I'm, a, I'm going to, you know, look for anybody that don't look like they belong to me and, and deal with them. It's a different mission, same person. Jesus came the first time, mission was the same. He came and did that. 
He came to die. He did that. He's coming back, and he's coming back to judge. He's coming back to make things right and to ultimately make all things new. And so it says here, though, in this second coming, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. One thing we know about the second coming, it's not going to be in secret. Every eye is going to see him, even they who pierced him. We know there are many ways that you can spend your day, but we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today here on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Revelation. There are a variety of things addressed in this book. There are letters written to churches, lots of imagery and prophecy, and the best part, a coming king who will reign supreme. Don't you just love a good story where good overcomes evil? Jesus is the ultimate in this, bringing good and restoring all that's broken and lost. What a wonderful savior. How do you engage with the book of Revelation? Is it scary to you? Is it confusing? Is it inspiring? We'd like to help you through what you're thinking as you're listening to these messages. Our number is 310-245-4811. Feel free to give us a call. We'd love to connect with you. Just in case you missed it, that number is 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as God continues to reveal His plan for the world and for us. On behalf of Pastor Bill and the rest of the production team, thanks for being a part of A Transforming Word.